Welcome to the Good News with Angie Austin. Now, with the Good News, here's Angie. Hello there, friend. Angie Austin here with the Good News. We are being joined again by Mark Moore. His book is Shattered, Finding Hope and Purpose in the Midst of Disappointment. Welcome back, Mark. It's good to be back. Thanks for having me. Now, when you um, spoke with us last, we were talking about the loss of one of your children, uh, Allie, and how really it turned, obviously, your life upside down, but it really changed like the focus of your life because you moved back to the States, and so everything turned upside down at that point in time. It was a complete life change during this time of your grieving and loss. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. We had... Um We've been living in the Middle East for 16 years, raised, uh, basically raised all four of our kids there. Our two oldest were six and four when we moved. And um, so moving back to the United States was not just a uh, shift in ministry focus, but it was a shift in our lives, you know, uh, moving from a, a Muslim culture back into a Christian culture. And, and I mean, our kids had never lived in this culture before. So Wow. So it was a big, a big shift for us, uh, ministry-wise and personally. Yeah, I can imagine raising kids in the Middle East and coming back to the States. Uh, what a culture shock that is. So full-time ministry for more than 20 years, uh, then back here at the state, in the States, still you know, working in ministry, but uh, you know, from this being your home base now. Uh, you, you, were, you talked about something interesting in the book that reminds me of something my friend was just talking about. She lost her husband. Uh, she was 58. I think he just turned 60 and it was a heart attack that took him immediately. And they were crazy in love. Like when she would talk about him, she'd be like, oh, that man is one hot piece of steak. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like she was into her husband. I mean, she thought he was the hottest daddy on the face of the earth and just really into her faith, really into her four kids. And she said several people have said to her over the last two years, like, I thought you were over that. I thought you'd moved on. I thought you were almost done grieving. Or I thought your grieving processes had um, moved along further. You talk about there being a fine line between our re- remembering and dwelling on our loss. And she told me, you don't get over it. You move forward. And maybe in moving forward, you're honoring your loved one, but you are not... Uh, moving past or forgetting, you are just trying to move forward because the loss is so painful. So what what is your fine line between remembering and dwelling? What do you teach us about that? Well, I mean, I think she's spot on. Uh, I, I hate the phrase, uh, move on. Oh, I do too. Because there's just no way to do that. No. Uh, the, the phrase implies that you're going to leave everything behind. And you know, when you're talking about a loss specifically, you can't leave that behind. Um, you know, our daughter is forever uh, a part of our lives, even though she's no longer here. She's she is a con- she's constantly on our thoughts, and, and and she moves forward with us. So I'm like her. I really like the word "move forward." Yes, because it implies that there is movement, but you're not leaving anything behind. And I think that's the fine line that I draw between remembering and dwelling. We need to remember, and we need to take the loss with us. Um, you know, that the old saying, um, time heals all wounds, it's not true. It's no. not accurate. Um, the grieving never ends. People ask, so are you still grieving? Well, yeah, of course we're still grieving. And if you ask me that question 20 years from now, I'll tell you the same thing. Yes, we're still grieving. We lost our daughter. But, um, you know, the difference is that uh, 
the weight of the grief doesn't end. It's it's your ability to carry it that changes. You know, we, we uh. grow in strength as we move forward in Christ. We grow in strength, and uh. you know, it's like lifting weights. Um, the more you lift, the more you can carry to the point that one day you go back to the first set of weights that you lifted, and they seem so light. The weight hasn't changed. It's just that you've grown in your ability to carry it, and. Um, so we, we have to be real real careful, but we have to find that line because dwelling is not a place we want to be either. Mm-mm. You know, that word dwell means to live. And yeah. this is the thing the Lord spoke to me is you can't live in those places of the past. I can't live in the loss of my daughter. I yeah. can't live even in the remembrance of my daughter. I need to take the remembrance with me, but I can't live there. And, um, you know, in John, Jesus talks about abiding in me and I will abide in you. And, and it's the same word, dwell or live. And so we have to choose where we're going to dwell. We dwell in Christ, but we remember, you know, the loss. And, um, and, and when we do it that way, then what happens is we grow in strength and we're able to carry the grief with us, but it doesn't weigh us down. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. Now, when we talk about, I, I like how you explained that too, by the way, dwelling in the grief, that you don't want to dwell there. And I know that the uh, Lord prompted you, uh, rather than d- dwelling in your grief, to write a book while you were grieving, which is uh, uh, pretty, uh, <laughs> that's that's a lot. That's a lot to do. Um, so I want to ask you a little bit about, um, you know, depression. And in the midst of that grief, many times it does just turn into plain old, yeah, I'm depressed. And so in what ways did your grief, your depression, your dark journey out of that time of losing your daughter, who was back here in the States, by by the way, if people uh, didn't hear uh, last time when I talked to Mark, uh, and she'd been in a car accident, and they were overseas in the Middle East and had to come back and she didn't make it. What In what ways did that depression, grief, dark time destroy your motivation and purpose? Because it sounds like the Lord woke you up and got you out of that to some degree. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, depression's a thief. Oh, and, it is. Um, and I really discovered that through this process. And and, it, and actually, I realized that there was other times in my life, as I started recognizing my depression in this process, I started, the light started going on. Oh, this isn't my first time to have to deal with this. You know, we don't realize a lot of times that we're walking through depression when we, when we are. Yeah. Uh, we have to start learning how to identify some of the signs. For me, it was, it, it was a loss of motivation and a loss of that of that drive in my purpose that initiative that get up and go initiative the get up and go you know and and finding that place and that purpose again and and that place where where things hold value because you know when you walk through grief and disappointment extreme grief and disappointment uh everything just kind of loses its value for a season and 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 that's that's the beginnings of a slide into depression when you begin to lose value for the things that you once held in high esteem and so you know, um, the fact that, that I was able to write a book during uh, all of that grief and disappointment really was a testimony to to the importance of making good choices in that season. Uh, coming out of depression, um, of course, it, it depends on you and your relationship with the Lord, and, and, and there's a lot of factors that go into that. But, but before any of that can even take place, you have to make good choices, you know, um, because, you know, like it or not, finding motivation in seasons where you're discouraged and disappointed and depressed requires making decisions every single day, like we said before, to move forward. And, 
so for me, through my grief journey, I've, I've greatly struggled in the area of motivation. And that's, yeah. that's just the raw truth. And, um, and I talk about that in the book. But early in the process, I struggled even to get myself out of bed. And that's unusual for me because I'm a morphing person. Really? And um, Yeah. And it was difficult. And so um, what I had to do is just start with little things. I, you know, I started getting out of bed, putting one foot in front of the other. Making my bed was a big step forward for me. And a, a lot of uh, these are practical things, and there's a spiritual element to it as well. But really, to get to the spiritual side of things, you have to start making practical decisions, really good practical decisions. And when you start recognizing those signs of discouragement, depression, then that's a, a signal that, hey, I've got to start making some really practical decisions, pull myself out of this and lead me into the presence of God. I'm telling you uh, that I, so many people can relate to that, whether it's a, a, for a period of time in their lives or the situational depression that follows something like a loss. My, my, I may have told you last time, one of my brothers was murdered mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, my mom kind of car- compartmentalizes it. Like, I hate to say it, but I feel like she just, I mean, we never speak about him. And we rarely speak about my brother who was homeless that I heard from recently that's in a mental health facility. Uh, Rarely. And she doesn't talk about my dad's alcoholism, the abuse. I mean, she doesn't talk about any of it. And it's almost as if, I I don't know. I mean, I can't judge because it's her pain, not mine. But it's almost like a chalkboard and she just erases it all and moves on. And her motivation also, maybe she has been depressed over the years because she's not a real get up and go self-starter kind of person. And I am. And I think part of the reason I am is watching her not be a self-starter and not kind of grab life by the horns and say, you know, I'm going to get an education. I'm going to, you know, I educated myself out of poverty, moved out of low income housing, started working for NBC, you know, bought a place at the beach. Like I was not going to live that life. And I think, and she lives with me by the way. So, uh, with us, with my family of six. So um, we take care of her, and I have for many, many, many years. Um, so, I, yeah, everybody, I can't judge how she handles it, but it definitely is different than most people I've seen where they're almost erased. Mm-hmm. It, seriously, and I know that sounds kind of harsh, but it's almost like they're erased from any conversation we have. Because so my brother just reached out to me the other day. He actually sounds great. He's on like good medication or something. But um, she doesn't really have any, she didn't ask for his number. She didn't ask for his address. She didn't really ask anything about how he's doing, like nothing. Yeah. And that's odd to me, but maybe that's how she protects herself by not getting emotionally involved in any of these things that have gone on and some that continue to go on so in the book i know we only have a couple minutes left and i'm going to have you back because i think this line of conversation is fascinating and helpful to so many um why do you think people need to see our scars because i don't like giving my testimony but when i do i have a lot of people approach me um because that's another it was another world and when i talk i'm so healed from it that it doesn't even Uh until i bring it up it doesn't the emotion doesn't come up um but i i know it's different than my mom i haven't erased them but i've forgiven them all so why do you think we need to let people see our scars especially as christians well you know scars are um they're a very tricky thing because uh a lot of it is it depends on 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 what the scar is a result from you know um I have a scar above my eye where I fell off my bike when I was about eight years old trying to jump a ramp. Uh, that was a scar I was quite proud of and showed everybody. <laughs> but I have another scar where I cut myself painting. And, you know, how do you do that? 
And, and so we have we have these scars. Some 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 we're kind of proud of, and others we, we would rather cover up because we're ashamed or because there's a pain associated with it. Yes, I'm not a psychologist, but these are just you know my these are my musings and and what I've kind of gone through in in this journey of, of process. But the problem for most of us is that we want our healing to include the scars. Uh, we don't want a remembrance of the pain. We just want to erase it from existence, like you were talking about a yes. minute ago. And we want to pretend it never happened. And so, uh, but but here's the thing: we we don't we tend to forget, or maybe we don't even realize that a scar is no longer a wound. Um, it's actually a sign that the wound's healed. And um, uh, uh, Sheila Walsh is the one. She said, "Scars are proof that God heals." And and so. For me, um, when you've been through loss, grief, disappointment, and pain, uh, then you're going to have scars. And, and so I, I don't want to cover them up because I want people to see, you know, that, that, that there was something that happened to me that has now been healed. I, I'm no longer walking in the pain and the struggle of it uh, as much as I was before. And, and, um, and I'm doing it because Jesus, Jesus still heals wounds. He still heals pain. And he still is walking with us through all of these things in our lives. And, and our scars are signs. I mean, they're big emblems. Well, and also, and Mar- Mark, we're out of time, so I, I'm sorry. I, I hate cutting you off. Also, um, I think that those scars, like you are helping others to heal their scars. You're putting like salve or neosporin on other scars, scar, people's scars just by having this conversation. Again, the book is Shattered, Finding Hope and Purpose in the Midst of Disappointment. Uh, Mark Moore, do you have a website for us? Uh, yeah, hopefornations.com. It's hope, the number four, nations.com. That's awesome. All right, we'll have you back. We'll talk more. Thanks, Mark. All right. Thank you. God bless. Cheyenne, Wyoming is tuned to the Mighty 670 KLT Denver. ARC thrift stores have been an essential part of Colorado's economy with an economic impact of over $2.3 billion in the last 15 years. During the shutdowns due to COVID-19, ARC thrift stores distributed over 200 tons of food to people in need and distributed thousands of pounds of essential supplies to homeless shelters and child care centers. That included over 100 million pounds of recycled donations to keep them out of landfills. ARC annually provides services to more than 9,000 people with intellectual or developmental disabilities. Unlike other nonprofit organizations, their outreach has never ended. Right now, ARC has three to five relief efforts per week. When you shop at your local ARC, your hard-earned money directly supports a company that gives back to its community. Decide to shop today at the ARC thrift store near you. Find the nearest location at arcthrift.com. That's arcthrift.com. Hey friend, Angie Austin here with the good news. I want to know, do you protect yourself from the sun and wear sunscreen? You know, I haven't even tanned since I was 16. I just, you know, I just hung it up. I hung it, I hung up the towel. Well, also, you know, living at such a high elevation, I wear sunscreen year round and you may be thinking, oh, well, the weather is getting a little cooler. You don't need to protect yourself in the winter, maybe even in the fall, but that's not true. The risk of skin cancers doesn't end when summer ends. Joining us is an expert in the area, Dr. Daniel Ladd 
past president of the American Osteopathic College of Dermatology, here to fill us in on the importance of year-round sun exposure awareness and skin cancer treatment options. Welcome, Dr. Ladd. Thanks so, so much for having me. You are welcome. All right, so well, I wonder why people think they don't need to wear sunscreen in the winter. Is it because they just like they used to tan in the summer and they think, oh, well, we don't tan in the winter, we don't need it? I mean, if you ever go skiing, you know you get sunburned up there. Right, right. And I, and I think, you know, when the sun is out, we're more aware of it, right? So during the summer months, certainly we're aware. We're probably more likely to apply sunscreen and things like that when we're outdoors, wearing less clothing, uh, you know, maybe at the beach or wherever we might be. In the fall and winter, of course, you know, we start to think, well, maybe I'm a little bit protected from the sun. I don't see as much sun in the sky during the day. It's cloudier outside. And so maybe I can let my guard down a little bit. But actually still, even in the cloudy weather, the sun actually penetrates through the clouds. 85% of the sun's rays actually get all the way through the clouds and wow. all the way down to us. So, yeah, year-round, winter, spring, summer, or fall, it's important to pay attention to your skin. Now, I've recently seen uh, there was an, an on-air personality in town that had skin cancer. And, uh, boy, when it's on your face and, it, and it's fairly invasive, the treatment is invasive. And uh, let's face it, it's it's not pretty. I mean, it's, um, oh, I mean, it's obviously life-saving, but uh, let's... Let's talk about the, the risks and the cures. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, the traditional surgical approach uh, is effective. It's a 99% cure rate. However, uh, you know, if you're getting a skin cancer on the face, for example, that's a place where you may not want to have a cancer uh, mm-hmm. surgically removed. You might want to do something less invasive. So, so the great news technology-wise is now we have something called image-guided superficial radiation therapy. And this is a technology that is very, uh, very good for patients, especially patients who want to avoid surgery, but they still want to get rid of that skin cancer. It uses ultrasound technology to see below the surface of the skin. And when you're able to do that, you can measure very precisely the size and shape of that skin cancer. And with that, you can then use radiation therapy to precisely eliminate that cancer without having to have a big scar, have a painful post-operative, uh, you know, course. So it's a great news for a patient. The, the cure rate's also 99%, so you don't lose anything in terms of your efficacy. That's pretty wild. That's really neat stuff. I know the advancements are just, um, you know, coming in like gangbusters um, in treatment of can- uh, cancer. Well, let's talk a little bit about, first, first of all, since this is your area of expertise, I'm assuming that every morning you just put on sunscreen like as you get ready for the day? Yeah, especially if you're going to be outdoors. I, I particularly pay attention to certain times of day, what I call the peak sun hours. So anything after 10 a.m., I'm going to be much more likely to apply sunscreen. Um, if I'm out at a sporting event or something like that, I'm going to be more likely to try and find a shady area to sit down and watch that event. Mm-hmm. Um, all the way up to about 4 p.m. In Texas, that's where we have our, you know, that's kind of the peak sun from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. And so those are, uh, those are times of day when I'm definitely going to be applying and, and if I'm out and I'm getting sweaty in the sun, let's say I'm exercising, uh, some of that sunscreen can actually rinse off. I may have to reapply that sunscreen uh, if I'm getting sweaty and moving around and, and uh, kind of basically rinsing it off without without knowing it. Yeah, and that's what I see my kids not do. You know, they just get in the pool and then hours later they're like, well, I put on sunscreen. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, 17 hours ago, you know. Right. Um, <laughs> it's gone. It's been gone, yeah. <laughs> well, since I live in the Mile High City, I think I'm pretty, you know, aware of this. And then when I lived in Los Angeles, I lived at the beach. So, and then just, you know, being on uh, TV news and, you know, wanting to take care of myself, I did it just as much for looks as when I was younger as for protection. But now I put it on like um, my neck and my, my hands when I go out as 
well. Okay, so yes. how how do we spot it, doctor? How do we, because like I have one spot on my hand, which is pretty good, you know, for my age. And I went in to look at it and they said, oh, no, no, that's just like age. I'm like, oh, great, but better than skin <laughs> cancer. So how do you know what it is? Well, certainly, you know, if, if you're at home and you just want to get on the Internet, you can go to GentleCure.com. They've got information about skin cancer, how to recognize it, what the procedures are to get rid of it. Um, but, of course, you know, just uh, going to see a, a dermatologist, you know, if, if you've got a spot that doesn't seem to want to heal up. In other words, it looks like a cut or a scratch. It bleeds maybe a little bit. You mm. put some neosporin on it for about a week, and it goes away, but then it comes back in that same spot again. When you see that kind of pattern where the same spot is really not healing up the way it should heal, that's a, a really good sign to go in and, and have that spot checked out by a dermatologist. Yeah, and hello, like my uncle who played senior Olympic uh, tennis, like his ears looked like brown cauliflower and bled. Like if it's bleeding, this is not good. Sure. You know something's wrong if it's bleeding. Um, some people will even get a cut or a scratch and they'll say, oh, I, I actually scraped my ear with a branch. And it's like, well, that may be true. But, you know, if you have a skin cancer, that area is very, uh, it's more fragile. So uh, that if you do get scraped by a branch or something like that, it can fool you into thinking that, oh, that's just a scratch from the branch that I ran into. Uh, when in fact, uh, it actually just, it, it could be a skin cancer there. So anything that doesn't heal the way you would normally heal that's a great thing to bring in and let the dermatologist uh, diagnose you yeah just make the appointment you know and even you know when you go in for your physical you can ask your regular doctor to take a look at your skin and then even though they're not a dermatologist they can say hey um you know, here we are at your physical, and I do see a few things on your back. So then you can schedule, you know, but you, if you're going in for a physical, you might as well have them check it anyway, because they offer me like the choice. Why would I say no? Right. Yeah. I think any spot that you see, um, now, if you have a history of skin cancers, like you've already had one skin cancer and you're just making sure that you don't have additional ones, I would just, at that point, you're probably just going to see the dermatologist once a year or twice a year on a regular basis. But if you've never had skin cancer before, it's fine to go to your primary care doctor, internal medicine doctor. And of course, if, if they've, uh, they see a spot or you show them a spot, they're either going to take care of it there or they're going to refer you to see a dermatologist and have them kind of biopsy that and check that out. That's pretty a common scenario. You know, Dr. Ladd, too, for people like that are bothered by sunscreen, there are so many options now that I see. Like, I wear the giant hat, right? And you can even, right. if you're going on a boat, you, it has a tie underneath so you don't lose your lid. And, you know, and, right. and the kids, like, even, like, I wear a swim shirt. And my, my kids, I have all teenagers right now. So, of course, they want to wear, like, the bikinis and look all cool and blah, 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 and get a tan, and they sure. want to be lifeguards. But I'm like, look, those skin-tight shirts, you can still see you have a great figure like do you really need to expose every inch of your skin other than that tiny little triangle you know I, I mean really I mean but <laughs> there's just so many clothing items now even like shirts that are super thin that offer you that UV protection I mean they've really come a long way when it comes to clothing protection yeah they have uh, they have UPF uh, 50 which is a great uh, it's a dense mesh uh, fiber that really keeps a lot of the sun out. Uh, certainly these rash guards and things that kids wear when they're swimming is helpful. Um, and it's hard to get kids to wear sunscreen, for sure. They, uh, they're kind of resistant to the idea. They just want to go out and have fun. Right. But, uh, yeah, a little bit of sunscreen goes a long way. And uh, if they're out playing, uh, when they come back in from the pool or wherever they are, you know, just see if you can get them to apply it again. I know sometimes it's like wrestling with them. But, uh, you know, any, anything we can do, to uh, just make, one, even if we can get one or two fewer sunburns, 
uh, for our kids as they're growing up. That can make a big, big difference for them down the road. Yeah, and Dr. Ladd, I have to be honest with you, please don't be offended if you are a husband, but husbands also like to get out there and have fun, and when we're at a swim meet, my husband always has that like lobster neck, and he's six six, and I'm five feet tall, so I, can, I can't really reach his neck. So I'm like, bro, really? <laughs> I'm like, oh, please. I mean, could you put some sunscreen on your neck? Like, this is ridiculous. You're like setting yourself up for skin cancer all summer long, a swim meet every Saturday, and you're not putting sunscreen on while you're like a stroke and turn judge. Really? Like, can't you just slather it on there? And so I think, and the grandparents too, my in-laws, they will not wear sunscreen. And I don't know if that was like an old school thing where we used to not wear sunscreen, but they refused. So they also wouldn't put it on my kids. So to be honest with you, it was a huge family deal because I'm a sunscreen fanatic and they're all like poo-pooing me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it's uh, very often uh, you, you might be the gatekeeper for your family, right? You're the, you're the one that finds the doctors and takes people to the doctors. Yes. Many times uh, I've had many uh, female patients come in and they're just getting a skin check and there's really not that much wrong with them. And they say, you know, I think I'm at the end of the appointment. They say, you know, I think I'm going to bring my husband in to see you. And really the whole appointment has just been uh, just my audition for that family, right? Hilarious. And if the mom, approves, the mom approves of me, here comes the husband. And, and But they complain to me all the time. They're like, look, I've told him time and time again to come in and see you, and he won't do it. And uh, but, but now that there's a non-surgical option, I think some guys are just afraid that the, the treatment is going to be worse than the, than the skin cancer. And uh, they, they don't want to get themselves biopsied or looked at because then they don't want that surgery. So the, the image-guided superficial radiation therapy is the answer to that. You can say, look, even if you go in there and the doctor finds a skin cancer, a lot of times he can treat you with a non-surgical option. You won't feel any pain or discomfort, and you're getting your health taken care of. So it, that's, a, that's a win-win. And, you know, for dads, uh, in terms of, like, messing around with all of this, I um, I had a, a friend um, several years back, and she had, um, her husband was 40, they had three kids, and at the time, they were exactly the um, age of my kids, the Auden family, and the dad was, like, a huge jock, right? I mean, like, big-time runner, they're super successful. Anyway, he got skin cancer, but it was Ugh. brain cancer, and at the time, I know that there were some advancements, but at the time, uh, there wasn't really much they could do. I mean, he was still, like, running, like, almost marathons in between his treatments and he passed oh. away leaving these three very young children and you know oh. a 38 year old wife and so when we talk about skin cancer sometimes it's a lot more than just something on the surface and it has as you know uh, let's talk about some of the more serious uh, you know such cases that can occur if you don't treat this Sure, and, and the melanoma skin cancer is different than what we were talking about earlier. We were talking about basal cell and squamous cell. Those are cancers that are very common, but fortunately don't spread very often to other parts of the body. But that's the vast majority of the skin cancers we see. What you're uh, mentioning with this, uh, this unfortunate person that you know, um, you know, probably the melanoma skin cancer might have been what this person had. And these are spots that, uh, you know, in men, they happen most often on the back. So, um, you know, sometimes the husband and wife, you know, the wife won't even look at the husband's back, right? You know, he gets up in the morning, he showers, he gets dressed, and that's it. 
And so with a melanoma skin cancer, uh, that can be what you talked about, where it can spread to the brain or other parts of the body. And of course, this is a disaster uh, for a family like that and those three poor kids that are uh, now without a dad. Uh, and so, you know, uh, one of the things that I try to talk to men about, because men get more skin cancer than women. They tend to be outdoors more than women. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I try, I just encourage them to say, just come see me once a year. If that's all you can do, that's fine. Uh, let's just stay on top of this thing. So something doesn't sneak up on you down the road uh, because you let five or eight years go by be between uh, seeing me. And, uh, you know, a lot of times if they can understand that, that there could be a life and death situation, they may be more likely to come in. But, but I still have guys that are just very hesitant to come in and, uh, you know, I, I just deal with it as well as I can. Yeah, and best to prevent it. Uh, Nick Auden was his name, and uh, I still keep in touch with the family. I, I in the news business, I um, I was on TV, then I I covered the story, and it was just heartbreaking to me. And I, I remember they did this big online petition, you know, because if you're not preventing it and you're trying to get some of that clinical trial drug, like they turned him down, because if you're not part of the trial or the drug company just doesn't have enough of it, like you're you're biding your time to try to stay alive until this new great treatment's out, which did come out soon after he passed away. So get in there, see your dermatologist. And Dr. Ladd, where's the best uh, place to get info? Uh, go to GentleCure.com. They've got lots of information about skin cancer for your listeners. GentleCure.com. Thank you so much, Dr. Ladd. Excellent information today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Good News with Angie Austin on AM 670 KLTT.